10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown. Good morning and welcome to the Friday morning break, the start to the end of your week. It's the 1st of April, could only mean one thing. That's right, it's Clarence Seedorf's birthday. Happy birthday, Clarence. I'm Dorian Brown, it is Friday the 1st of April. We are broadcasting live from the Teachers Talk Radio 2 Up and 2 Down. This week we're talking about studying whilst teaching. Have you done it or are you thinking of doing it? Call, text or tweet the show, let's talk this out. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And a very good morning there to you fine followers of Frantic Frolics on Fridays. The weekend is around the corner and as we reach the business end of this academic year, um, I'm sure many of you are feeling the strain of this particular hotspot in the year and, and therefore it is more than important for you to carve out some time over the next couple of days to uh, decompress and get ready for the next week ahead. Uh, good morning as well to the month of April. It's always a good laugh reading through the, the uh, news trying to spot all of the April Fool's jokes um, although I'm sure a large number of stories over the last year could easily be taken uh, or mistaken should I say as April Fool's jokes. Uh, there's just been a sheer amount of unthinkable events this year that continues to uh, to, 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 to roll on. Uh, one chapeau to the Teachers Talk Radio social media crew who ruffled a few feathers this morning with the announcement that Gavlar Willie was uh, taking over our breakfast show this morning. Um, if this was in fact true, I'm sure the switchboard would have been broken with all of the keen teachers calling in to, to thank Gavin for his wonderful efforts at the crease as Secretary of State for Education. Uh, moving on, and uh, the always on fleek Susie Dent uh, has a really appropriate word for us today for our word of the week and that is gobamoosh from the 19th century it means a gullible open-mouthed individual who believes everything they are told and it's from the french for fly swallower i'm sure there have been a number of gobmooshes out there today that have fallen victim to the early morning pranks and shenanigans of other halves and siblings or inverted commas mates as well uh, let us get this show on the road without further of further ado. Um, this week, as I said in the intro there, we are looking at the pros and cons of taking on extra study as a teacher while simultaneously teaching uh, or leading, in fact, full-time. Now, I know so many people um, listening um, and around the world uh, have uh, completed things such as master's qualifications, some have completed doctorates, and, and, and the other kind of the spectrum, I guess, that there is out there of uh, other forms of self-study. So I'd like to explore two things today. And uh, the first one is what, what the impact has been on your teaching, your workflow, and in fact, your well-being whilst actually studying. Uh, and secondly, having completed the qualification, how transformative or helpful do you think it has been uh, in moving you forward in, and um, improving your, your, your teaching and learning? Now I've gone in-house today and I have a fellow colleague joining me for the first time ever uh, face to face. 
um, which is very exciting. So I am joined by uh, Mr. Stam, Mr. Stam, Mr. Sam Spencer, who is a DT teacher and an educational technologist. Uh, he's been working in the UK and internationally for over 10 years and recently completed his master's in education and technology. Now I'm going to bring Sam in shortly, but whilst we're kind of in the, in the zone of technology, um, why don't we check out our uh, very own sorry, tech guru, Steve Woods, who's going to woo you with some top tips and advice on VPNs, uh, and then we'll jump straight into the interview. I cannot speak this morning. April Fool's. We will jump straight into the interview after this. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk VPN. For those of you thinking, why is Steve talking about an underwear fashion faux pas? A VPN is a virtual private network, and knowing a little bit about them might make you realise you actually need one. What is it? Well, in a nutshell, a VPN changes how internet data is transmitted from a device. It allows the user to be more hidden. I know what you're thinking. I'm no cyber criminal. Why do I want to conceal my data? Well, let's look at three things a VPN can do for you. I'm going to use a phone as an example, but all of these can be applied to any device you can put on the internet. Do you use public networks? A public network may be the Wi-Fi on the bus or train, a local coffee shop or fast food restaurant, any connection that isn't your home. Transmitting data on these networks can potentially allow your data to be intercepted by third parties. Having a VPN allows you to encrypt your data from your device rather than depending on the network you're connecting to. So, when surfing the web while enjoying a burger and fries, you can be confident if you're being intercepted, the data will be useless to the interceptor. The next is shopping online. When connecting to an online shop, some stores use your location and unique device ID to target you. If you're returning to look at a product, the likelihood is you're going to buy it. Knowing this, some stores use clever algorithms to increase the price to maximize their profit. With a VPN, you can mask this data so the price you see is the initial price. The third is some streaming services are blocked by internet providers or unavailable from outside of certain countries. If you're using a VPN, you can choose where to set your location to allow you to see the content you wish to stream. I've not looked at individual providers. Some are free, some are paid for. If you're unsure, find a friend who's using one, ask them about it, and use the same one as them to begin with. Then you get free tech support. Make sure you know the terms of service. You don't want the VPN you're using keeping your data, as that would defeat the object in the first place. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown. And Sam joins us in the studio now. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us on Teachers Talk Radio this Friday morning. Awesome. Thank you very much, Dorian. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Okay, well, we start off uh, every show with a bit of a brief, well, I gave you a little brief introduction at the beginning there, but I wonder if you might pack that out a little bit for us and give us a bit of an idea of your journey in education, um, and, you know, who you are, where you come from, and how you've got to where you are now. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Samuel Spencer. Um, I graduated from Newcastle University. Uh, had visions of being kind of an educational technology kind of consultant in the early stages, and uh, I thought it would be really cool to kind of work for like a big, uh, big technology firm such as Accenture and things like that. And so I ended up actually having kind of a passion in design technology uh, in school and then made my way into a marketing management uh, kind of bachelor's degree. 
And with the idea of kind of looking at that next step in technology and looking at how we can manage, uh, I say, technologies and implementation in, in industry. And uh, I had a friend who actually approached me and said that I would be making, I would be in the makings of a good teacher. I uh, did uh, this summer camps uh, in America and um, he convinced me to apply for Teach First, which uh, was a charitable organization looking at addressing the educational disadvantage. Um, of, uh, kind of within socioeconomic groups mm -hmm. in the UK. So uh, I kind of thought I loved innovation. So I thought, well, I'll go back to my roots and I'll go back to being a design technology teacher. Uh, and luckily I was accepted onto Teach First and that kind of pushed me towards education and uh, kind of really grew, um, I say grew myself into, uh, sorry, uh, eventually, I can't talk. Um, <laughs> eventually kind of uh, led towards teaching and started to think of it more as a part of a career. And as a part of these schools, I was starting to become really aware of the kind of lack of resource that we had. And, uh, and especially from a design technology classroom, it was we constantly looking at how we can best approach the kind of these objectives in a way in which we had like, literally no, no equipment and no technology and no, no materials. So it was an interesting stage of my life. And uh, I ended up um, kind of going through a conversion phase of making, uh, making a choice of going towards education as a career rather than that of technology and being a part of kind of the consultant group. And uh, I, by the end of Teach First, having kind of spent a couple of uh, summers in kind of a summer project uh, in both, uh, both Google and also Credit Suisse, looking at their branding and communications department, I then kind of sent the CV out and looked at kind of international teaching and uh, kind of looking at uh, exploring all these different kind of cultural influences as well. So that's how I've made my way out to the Middle East and uh, kind of met you. And mm -hmm. uh, throughout that stage, I also started to look at education technology as a part of my master's degree uh, and mm -hmm. focusing on professional development and looking at how I can better myself, but also look at that from others, uh, others' perspective as well. Fantastic, yeah, and, and I always say this every show almost, but I absolutely love just hearing uh, teachers' journeys because no two are the same, um, and you know, in fact, you might be the first guest I've had that has gone through the Teach First process as well, actually, and it's, uh, I think it's interesting what you said there about how the uh, experience of actually teaching, it tends to kind of draw you in further almost and kind of move you away from perhaps maybe your, your, your previous uh, goals uh, and ambitions. It's just almost like a like a drug teaching to a degree, right? Some, uh, you know, an, an addiction it can become. Um, yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. And there's just so many different ways in which, uh, or so much variety. Like every day is a very different day, and especially in the field of uh, kind of innovation and design and technology. I can see such value in those sorts of subjects, especially from a kind of an industrial application. Like it's just so, so diverse in the way that you can approach it. So it's, it's awesome to be involved. Absolutely. And can I just sort of dig a little bit more on the on the international front? So uh, how many years were you teaching in the UK before you came internationally? And what was the kind of the impetus? What was the uh, what was the drive to, to, to uh, become an international teacher? So uh, I ended up spending two years in um, in London and I loved every minute of it. It's, uh, it's obviously a great, great city to be involved in, especially uh, having so many kind of diverse culture, uh, culture kind of, of diversity in, uh, in the school mm. and I had all of these students that uh, they were telling me where they're from and how, uh, how their families interpret different things and when we obviously being a part of a creative uh, subject we would see different approaches and there would be those approaches would be gauged mainly based on their cultural background 
And so I was kind of sat there thinking, oh, I'm there talking about kind of British values and representing British values very well, but I wanted to explore their cultures and being able to kind of visit and travel into understanding them and how they would approach different situations more. So that's the kind of the first step of where I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply it abroad and I'm gonna try and understand it from another level. Lovely, yeah. And uh, and I remember my own kind of decision. You know, I was three years in teaching before I came international, and I remember it vividly actually, just how how scary and how uh, you know it was unexplored horizons and stuff that I and it, and it was very nerve wracking, but also very exciting as well. And I think very much for the same reasons as you're saying about. You know, some of the students that you were interacting with, you wanted to kind of uh, get a little bit more of a broader kind of sense of of of, of the world and 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 how uh, how it overlaps actually in a lot of cases as well. You know, and I think that's one of the the real draws of international teaching that we do get that kind of sample of of the local culture of particular areas, but also we teach a kind of a a, a, a range of different students from different. Um, uh, backgrounds as well so I think that really does kind of help us kind of broaden and and, and sharpen our, our our view of the world yeah definitely and I think uh, it's also quite nice when you when you kind of approach teaching is you the more experience you have in being a teacher you start to realize that you actually have a lot more to offer in education beyond your subject Mm. So you kind yes. of, I'm not just a design technology teacher. I then mm. focus on all the uh, kind of extracurricular work that I do as well. And you start mm. thinking about all the extra workshop and the hours that you spend in the in the workshop doing personal uh, personal projects, but also helping the students involved. Then you've got Duke of Edinburgh. Then you've got like kind of sports coaching. You've got yeah. all of these different yeah. kind of community focuses uh, focuses that you kind of Im- kind of immerse yourself in. And when you start traveling more internationally, you start think you start realizing. That you can actually have more, well, a different impact in those sorts of situations, and you can start approaching those situations in very different, uh, different ways. And the more you move around, and the more you understand, you tend to kind of be able to bring more to kind of teaching that uh, that yes. subject, which is which is really nice to see. I think that's a fantastic point. And I, I, just a couple of months ago, we were at a Teach uh, Teach Me Icons International uh, presentation, and the there's a misconception that international teaching is is easier than it is than, than, than teaching in the UK. It's just different, I think. It's a, it's it's, st- it's still challenging, but it's a different type of challenging. And I think what what I was going through my mind when you were saying what you're saying there, I completely agree that you do seem to have you see have the opportunity to get involved in a, a lot much more deeper and wider range of activities that all relate to education. And as and as a consequence of that, it actually builds up your 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 skill set and your and your and your almost your you know stokes the fire and your passion in terms of education because you can start bringing those things into the classroom as well so it's a it is a yeah how, how do you riff off of that if you will how how do you find um international teaching then different from your your two years in london i think in terms of obviously uh, kind of the pressure changes in many uh, many respects so i know that we've got kind of the offsets and we've got the equivalence of kind of your cobus uh, and kind of Brit- say British standards kind of coming into that mm. but I feel like the the level of um, say level of observation is it's kind of getting uh, not necessarily more flexible I don't think that's the, that's the best way to say it like there's still mm. pressures that that, ha- uh, that you have with regards to those observations but more, de- more developmental more like, yeah, yeah it's yeah it's kind of it's a focus on like for, uh, for me especially 
in my scenario is this is more my focus is more on the subject and then I can actually really have more time to explore other options and I can I can embed my learning like my passions for technology more and I can investigate more into that and I can investigate more into my professional development I did feel that when uh, when I was in the UK there was a lot more pressure on kind of on the administration tasks and on these kind of mm. different areas that the school kind of felt that they needed to have in uh, in place for yes. um, I don't know what they thought or what kind of the uh, Department of Education's thought was kind of needed in every single one if that makes sense yeah I think so and, and I think whilst you know we've seen in the UK in recent years you know educators leaving in their droves really and and, yeah. the, and the biggest biggest one is, is workload and I'd like to, to to say that actually workload isn't too different, I would suggest, actually, internationally than what it is. But as you said, it's those kind of uh, extraneous tasks and that kind of admin side of things that really kind of just serve as speed bumps almost to us actually doing the thing that we are, you know, we feel is our vocation to do, right, uh, to, to teach. And I think that's, that kind of leads quite nicely into the kind of technology aspect as well. And I think we... We've all now kind of seen the benefit of this technology throughout the recent times. And when we're starting to look at workload and start thinking about kind of our digital resilience against what we are currently facing, I do, I do think that like, technology has allowed us, or this recent time as we've been exposed a lot to kind of how technology could actually reduce the level of workload. Um, and in many cases, like look, we we look at uh, our teach uh, so teacher parent sorry, parent teacher conferences mm -hmm. get that right, uh, the right way around. Um, yeah, the uh, parent teacher conferences and how we are able to do that on Zoom. And I've actually through the colleagues that I've spoken to, there's actually been a lot of positive reinforcement from that. And they've it's although it's kind of you'd like that social interaction with the parents. It's actually yeah. because you have that kind of short time frame and you're trying to catch yeah. up with as many people as you uh, as you can. But you kind of have that allocated slots where you can be moving on to your next uh, parent quite mm -hmm. easily and you can really condense the information that you want to have yeah. in those sorts of time frames. And I think that's just an example of how we can kind of manage workload a little yes. bit more effectively. Yeah, and just to, to tell of that is that it's also, I, I imagine the feedback from parents is also in terms of the convenience of being able to actually, you know, dial in. I think yeah, in, in, in recent parent-teacher conferences, I've, I've had much more where I've had both parents, uh, whereas before I would, I would ju just have one. Like, yes, like, yeah. like, normally at work in a waiting room or something yeah, like that. So, yeah. uh, I've, had one, uh, I've had a couple of uh, parents in the car. And just, right, uh, yeah. Just, just <laughs> want to make sure that they're not driving. Yes, but, yes. Yeah, like, it's accessibility from those kind of remote locations and from even, we've had, being an international school, we've had kind of parents who have been attending parents' evenings from the kind of outside of the country. Yeah, like they would never have been able to get that feedback if it wasn't for that accessibility. Mm. So uh, I know we can we can kind of depending on what lens you place onto it, we mm. can say that well, actually, is it worth like can we have that more uh, like more kind of face to face yeah. um, human kind touch of human yeah. interaction? Mm. But ultimately, we want to pass that information on. And what kind of context can we do that? Yeah, and that this is just an example of how it kind of eases our workload a little bit more. Beautiful. Right. Well, that, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for that, Sam. It's a great sort of uh, intro into you and to your kind of philosophy and, and, and your experience thus far. So hopefully our, our listeners have got a bit more of a sense of Samuel Joseph Spencer. Uh, <laughs> um, <All day. laughs>
Yeah, you're not in trouble. <laughs> uh, so, um, so for the second part, then, as I sort of alluded to in the in the introduction of you, we, I, I, you know, part of this uh, this show is about um, you know taking on a, a master's, taking on extra uh, training and extra things on all by all on yourself, whilst at the same time simultaneously, um, you know, holding down a, a full time teaching role in challenging times as well. So. Um, I, I believe you started your masters before sort of COVID kicked off. Yeah. So if we can maybe just start back there and think about, you know, what was your motivation uh, to 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 do your masters in the first place, and and why did you decide to do it? Um, there's a couple, well, there's loads of reasons. I think we could be here all day for the amount of reasons to, uh, to do it. But I think what I wanted to do was I was so passionate about how technology was influencing education that I kind of dove straight into it. I, I was like, one hundred percent, this. That technology yeah. is only going to be positive and yeah. it's always going to be something that's going to kind of mold the future of, uh, of education and mm -hmm. that's the way in which I kind of really perceived it and so I wanted to make sure that I had the ability to be flexible um, mm -hmm. so I actually studied at UCL and as part of their master's program you could offer kind of flexible learning and as long as you kind of covered a certain amount of modules within your, uh, your kind of time frame or within their time frame, sorry, mm. uh, then you are able to kind of complete your master's degree. Mm. So throughout this course, I kind of, uh, I, I was basically all online. And I have to admit, especially reflecting on it now, it's been such a learning curve mm. because I, it's about what, uh, what is important. What it, it really kind of, I started to analyze it, like is those social interactions really important? And mm. I was starting to talk to people uh, from all over the world, network all over the world from within these modules. Yeah. And it was so, it was so strange because it was mainly through text. It was mainly through written word mm. and it wasn't through face to face. We didn't zoom. We didn't kind of have those kind of video messages. We really spoke through instant messenger. But yeah. Our communication is very precise, very like this, this was helpful research and this was, this was very specific. So I kind of, I always like bouncing ideas off people. And you can probably mm. imagine through this podcast right now, it's, <laughs> it's quite nice to have those conversations face to face, but I had to adapt quite quickly to my learning methods because it was so raw in this form that it was kind of, this was the facts and this, yeah. was, it wasn't kind of bouncing ideas. I had to then find my own path within this. So um, when you, when you're right, yeah, I, I completely get that. Um, because it means when you're writing a comment, you get chance to, to delete and, and go back and edit before you send. Right. And yeah. so, you don't tend to get that level of control in a in a face to face. You know, it's it's a lot more raw, isn't it? As you yeah. said, the kind of the conversation and the ideas are, are less refined, I suppose. And those kind of interactions are perhaps maybe what make us more human than or than than robot in in, in that regard, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I remember sort of. Uh, the, the, the International Baccalaureate, uh, when they do training, um, you have the option of doing the face-to-face -face or, or, or the online. And I did some, I've done some geography face-to-face -face, uh, training over the years, but then at one point I also did the, the theory of knowledge online training, um, and I absolutely hated that <laughs> because of that very reason, in that it, yeah. theory of knowledge particularly is a subject that lends itself to the need to have those kind of nuances nuanced conversations and those kind of you know you, you get to a point eventually you don't you don't you don't start off with the yeah. kind of the, the neat um neat ideas and so i felt that uh, the same as you typing and writing communicating was taking a lot more time 
an effort than what would have than a face to face or even kind of video chat probably would have would have been able to facilitate. Yeah, definitely. And it, for for my way of learning or the method of learning was to basically be almost like an iPad and screen. I felt like I was going to be kind of a robot. We had like mm. uh, we had one lecturer who uh, who sat at the computer and would take our questions. So you had one lecturer at the front. We would actually see them visually, like uh, say visually on the uh, on the computer, walking mm. around with their uh, projectors. We would see people coming into the classroom, but we would be kind of on the other uh, side of it. And it's quite an interesting interaction because the, uh, the lecturer would then turn around and say, well, I'm just going to take some remote learning questions kind of thing. And this was happening before the pandemic. Before COVID, eh? Right. Yeah. So okay. it was quite an, it's quite an interesting <laughs> thing because I think for me personally in the subject that, uh, that I'm obviously very passionate about, mm. I, I think I nailed the timing. I, I was researching into all of these different ways in which we can communicate with the uh, kind of online and I say um, obviously with regards to being kind of sensitive towards the pandemic in terms of all of uh, all of the kind of things that have been going on from a purely education technology perspective I was studying the subject and then when it hit my dissertation time once I technically kind of gauged all of this research I then got placed into a scenario that I was not like all of my life was then based online. So yeah. I was studying 100% online, trying to mix that up with obviously the kind of day-to-day -day social interactions. But then as I reached my dissertation, I then went straight online. And I was fully, like we went through this pand uh, pandemic and then every aspect of my life went online. And yes. so I was able to then start piecing all of these, kind of applying this like theory and this, uh, this research to my, to my lifestyle. And it just, it seems very strange um, and especially because throughout my degree, they were trying to uh, trying to kind of instill in you the, the reasoning and kind of the questioning behind education and technology. Is it really going to be that such a drastic impact? Um, I know we, we spoke about it um, mm. before this, and we started to talk about kind of Neil Swine's um, book and talking about education and technology and the key issues and debates. Mm. And started to think about kind of previous implementation of technology and uh, and um, how sometimes it didn't necessarily, it was kind of heavily invested into, and then it didn't really have that as much of an impact. And it's interesting to see now, we are now very reliant on the mm. technology, especially in recent times, but how much do we then convert that into the next uh, next part, which is quite an interesting and exciting kind of stage. Absolutely. And, and uh, I think it's, it's remiss of any, uh, qualification or anything to not look at that other side and not to kind of look at the critically look at the the benefits of inter introducing something you know you need to kind of you know take stock and be able to 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 look at it from different perspectives and I think that whole you know if you're looking at the use of technology in education for example you have it has to be you have to give a measured uh, analysis don't you in the way of yes look at all the possible benefits it will bring but also look at the, some of the possible drawbacks, some of the limitations and some of the things that are really uh, going to perhaps maybe throw up new challenges as yeah. a result of, move, of, of introducing technology, technology yeah. into classrooms. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what inspired my dissertation and how that kind of evolved over time. I, uh, my, my, one of my last modules was uh, research methods and it, it was an introductory um, kind of module where you had to kind of start bringing together what your dissertation looks like and you start to kind of piece together your title and mm. 
this was pre-COVID at this point. So I'm looking at the, into this other subject and still starting to look at kind of uh, ed tech. And I'm thinking about how in my school context, I can really kind of bring out the best in technology. Mm. When the pandemic hit, then my dissertation suddenly switched. And yes. switched into kind of professional development within the time of the pandemic. Right. Because what was happening was there was a lot of students, sorry, a lot of teachers suddenly being placed into the deep end. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of uh, kind of established uh, um, teachers, and I know there's been a lot of discussion and research with cuts to digital natives um, mm -hmm. and all of those, uh, all of those things. But we had a lot of a uh, lot of teachers who were kind of resilient to uh, to actually embedding technology into the classroom, and then now they're being placed into the deep end. And how did yeah. how did school structures um, kind of Bring that together. How did they offer professional development when they couldn't even socially interact with their with their staff? Yes. And uh, so what I ended up doing was doing a, a qualitative study and um, kind of research diary for uh, for a series of participants all over the world, uh, close to Asia. Um, and so they were kind of the first first people to kind of really respond to this. And then as we kind of progressed through, I had uh, people who were in Singapore, into the Middle East, and then also into the UK. So it's interesting to see how, obviously, through those locations, they reacted in different ways. Did they learn from the previous uh, previous lockdowns? How did yes. they, uh, their management structure respond to this uh, to offering professional development? Did they respond? Yes. Um, and yeah, it's it really interesting to try and draw out these conclusions from their uh, from their diary entries. I think that's quite a significant thing, Sam. You say to to kind of make such a, a drastic pivot. I mean, obviously, the situation. Um, caused it but you know if you'd already kind of done a lot of the reading around you know what what you were ultimately going to write your dissertation on and then that suddenly changed obviously that's a that's a big thing isn't it because you've got to do a heck of a lot more reading around the, the the new direction but I'm getting a sense that you know all of the reading that you'd done up to that point anyway was all stuff that you were just really passionate and interested in anyway yeah. and it's just kind yeah, of yeah, you know it's 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 been it's part of the process part of the procedure of just becoming a a, a, a more kind of well-rounded, better, better, knowledgeable teacher, ultimately. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, obviously the the big help that we had was um, with regards to kind of online uh, online books and things mm -hmm. like that. It allowed me to have access, uh, sorry, access to um, obviously all of my research on, from an online perspective. Uh, but I was very lucky as well in the fact that um, being based in Qatar, we've got the Qatar National Library. Mm. And what ended up happening was uh, they've actually invested significantly into those resources. And it's quite a quiet library, which is quite nice as well. So mm. all of the books that I kind of needed, mm. um, and if they weren't available online, I was able to go to my public library and be able to access that as well. Mm. So that was really helpful to be able to still have that kind of um, that localized kind of uh, resource of a library, um, which was interesting because uh, obviously... Being online, you kind of rely quite a lot on online. Uh, online. Mm. And although there's a lot of research and they, they've all, uh, all universities have done an incredible job of making sure that they've scanned in all of these older copies. Yes. If you want to go further back mm. you, and you need to have these physical copies of things, it's interesting in the fact that we, you still have to kind of physically go to those, uh, those libraries. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's nice that it's a bit nice. You know, that is nice as well, isn't it? Kind of flicking oh, yeah. through those uh, those old books. And you can't you can't keep yourself into the, well. I, me personally, I can't stay in the same four walls. So it'd be nice to uh, kind of have a bit of a change of scenery and not um, and be able to take yourself out of your kind of social settings and place yourself into kind of like a uh, I don't know study 
31, which is quite nice to kind of escape from. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, listen, uh, I mean, actually, just, just, just before we kind of go, go go to a break there, it's just something that you said that just reminded me of it as well, about the whole uh, the, the training whilst in the pandemic. Now, wherever people are in the world, there are varying levels of online, offline, hybrid, um, blended, etc. And I, I remember very, everyone, I'm sure, it's still kind of fresh in everyone's memory about how uh, you know, almost overnight, we were kind of plunged into this uh, this expectation to be be online, and it's a learning curve steep for for teachers, but also absolutely for for the students and and in fact the parents as well, and doubly doubly so for parents who are who are teachers as well as well. So it's uh, it all kind of hit us like a like a spade, didn't it? Um, but one thing that I remember reading at the time of the first one was that we wish we'd had a couple of days just before we went online, just to kind of set some parameters um, in terms of how learning is going to happen um, for the next however long it will be. Uh, we were we here were pretty much overnight, weren't we? Yeah. It, was, it was kind of like one day in and that was it. Students were gone and we, we were online. So when we did eventually get to come back, um, there was, a, you know, it was obvious that things like routines and expectations and things were a little bit disjointed. Um, but we did have an opportunity when the students were back in school to then say, look, if this is to happen again, this is the this is how we're going to do feedback. This is how we're going to uh, check in with you in terms of well-being issues. This is how um, this is the expectation of how I'm going to to do questioning. You know, using you know we're going to cold call using the chat, for example. Um, you know, we had that opportunity to kind of establish those routines that if we were to go online again, yeah. here we go. This we we know what we're doing. I don't think in, I wonder the extent to which how many people, schools, teachers did that. Um, and again, it's it, it, for me, it's that just confused, tired, worn out kind of, yeah. you know, oh, let's hope it, you know, almost something, some some kind of hope that actually we, it won't happen again, you know? It would be interesting <laughs> to see from a kind of a government level as well, uh, mm. because... Obviously, you've got this uh, this massive change, and they're obviously they will throw um, a lot of kind of policies at this and making sure that we like people mm. are going to be prepared. But I'd be interested to see about the kind of the next level of uh, kind of teachers that are coming through. Have they thought about this in terms mm. of teacher training? Have they mm. thought about this new generation of teachers that are going to be able to kind of have, be, obviously be used to a lot more technology as the divide by might be decreasing and they mm. might be able to kind of have a little bit more exposure to this technology. This new generation of teachers, are they going to be trained in this way? Are they going yeah. to be able to identify when they are kind of having that digital exhaustion potentially? Or is that is my workload getting a little bit too much here? Or are they actually teaching on these new teachers the best version of what technology can offer them? Mm. Like how they can be more effective at their job or this kind of this administration jobs or achieving new outcomes through this mm. next level of technology, which is quite an interesting thought from a governmental level as well. That is an interesting thought, primarily because it's, it's notorious when you go through teacher training that it's impossible that you can't cover everything, you can't learn everything, you know, you're not going to come out of teacher training, you know, the, the finished product. In fact, I think uh, William said that, you know, teaching is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a job that, you know, you, you need more than a lifetime to master, and so you, you've got to you're going to 
we have to die trying to continually improve or, or certainly up to that day that we that, that we retire so i think that 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 use of educational technology from my, from my experience from my training it was very little um uh, offered in teacher training and it's one of those learn on the job um remits i think i think i was very lucky because i I'm obviously that's a part of a like design, uh, design technology so it was my basically my job to think about how industry changes and how we can embed that uh, that kind of that technology factor into uh, into school uh, into school mm, or into right. classroom. So having that subject kind of laid the foundation for my experience of teaching, then mm. I'm constantly kind of built to to try and find that uh, kind of the best solution for that technology, right, and to yep. address that problem. But it's interesting mm. because this we I know we've been talking a lot about cross curricular, uh, curricular links. Mm. Is mm. it a place where we then start thinking well? are kind of computer scientists and all of these different kind of emerging subjects, robotics, things like that. Yeah. Could we now embed that a little bit more into teacher training for a variety of different subjects? Are we starting to yes. blend and kind of break down the walls between subjects and start yeah. really kind of bringing in this kind of training yes. a little bit more effectively? And that's happened to a degree, hasn't it? In some, in a number of schools, the teaching IT as a, as a discrete subject has, has, uh, become less common because the idea is that IT technology, whatever we call it, um, should be weaved into the fabric of every other subject. But the danger, and I think we may be seeing that in some instances of what's happening now, is that if it's not explicitly being taught, then is it being taught at all? Are we just, am I as a geographer just expecting students to be able to manipulate a spreadsheet? Um, or is it my responsibility to teach them how to manipulate said spreadsheet? And I also think it's uh, it's also down to a schooling context, right? Mm. Like, the availability of this technology. Mm. Uh, I know we're very lucky um, in the situation we are now. We've got one-to-one -one iPads. Mm. I know probably many of your listeners might not necessarily be in that sort of situation, and they mm. might have mm. a laptop trolley that mm. they might have to read out. They might have to book a, a computer lab uh, still. Yeah. And some people might not even be in a situation where they can even offer that. Yes. So then at what point do you then start saying, well, actually, technology should be embedded and should be learned about within all these subjects, but then mm. you've got to think about these uh, these other schools. You don't want to, yeah. you want to be able to provide all students with, the, uh, with the, yes. this, uh, these fundamental skills. So how do we address that in that larger context, which I know is going to be a much larger debate yes. than, uh, than this talk show. I don't, I don't think there is an answer to that, but it's no, certainly something not. where we need to think about it. Listen, uh, we have been uh, rolling now for, for about half an hour, so I think it's time for us to, to have a quick break. Um, so uh, we're going to uh, go to the ads right now, um, and then we'll be back in a couple of minutes with some more Samuel Joseph Spencer. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, 
Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out. Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Friday morning break. This is your host, Dorian Brown, and I am joined by Sam Spencer. And we have just spent a good best part of 30 minutes just uh, getting to know Sam a little bit and just really chewing the fat, having a good old yarn about, um, you know, the, the role of technology in education, the changing role that it has had uh, during certainly over the last couple of years. Uh, and also more specifically, where we want to kind of turn the, the conversation to now, the um, the, the, the self-development, if you like, or, or, or taking on extra um, training and extra qualifications whilst uh, still being uh, a full-time teacher. And we really want to kind of peel back the, uh, the onion skin a little bit here and kind of, you know, we, we, Sam already kind of expressed his motivations and it was obviously his, very, his passion really and his interest in, in the subject that really drove him to, to, take the, to, to, to complete the Masters in the first place. Um, so if you can just um, start from there then, Sam, and let us know um, what the, I guess, what the question was, what the, what, the, what the focus was of your master's and what the, what the, what the conclusions were that you, that you drew from it. Uh, yeah, so um, with regards to uh, my master's title, it was, uh, it was one of those long-winded ones from uh, back <laughs> in the day, but um, yeah. it's, uh, it's how can professional development help improve school teachers' proficiency in online-based learning during a time of COVID-19 pandemic. And it was interesting because it's all oh, very difficult uh, as, as it kind of progressed because there's constant changes that was, uh, there was kind of, as yeah. 
as this research was coming in, it was there wasn't much of it to start with, and it was very difficult to then start thinking about comparisons. And then um, as I started to think about like drawing these conclusions and trying to bring things in, everything would change. Yes, of course. So what, I was, what I was kind of drawing, and it's the same as probably every research, but probably more so in this, uh, in this subject. Mm. Um, and it was very difficult to uh, think. I was getting these uh, these diaries, uh, diary entries, and and obviously from people's different um, different scenarios and different situations. Um, different uh, some of the uh, the kind of participants had different medical issues as well. So mm. I started to kind of explore all of these uh, these different uh, kind of versions of um, of different experiences within the pandemic of different um, different groups, and trying to find a way to kind of really channel that into uh, into something and try to pick it kind of pick it out that natural uh, one subject that all of them kind of had in common yes and, uh, that kind of commonality throughout all of the world mm. and professional developments just at the forefront of all of it and yeah. um, I was so passionate with the way in which people developed in the first place and that's why mm. I liked technology was it allowed people to have access to them that was obviously the kind of the drive initially for my master's as well is I actually had the opportunity to further myself mm, mm. in a master's degree while being able to kind of access it outside of my, my work. And mm. that's what ended up happening with uh, what I was finding within this dissertation was people were had, having to take it upon themselves to do their own professional development. And they yeah. were identifying problems within themselves mm. that they were struggling with. And instead of and look, I'm not saying that institutions should have been able to really identify this in such an early stage mm. and be more maybe proactive with it. Mm. And I know we mentioned it uh, in the kind of the, fir uh, the first part of it. It was yeah. like having this kind of proactive, reactive kind of uh, this kind of um, I say category. But people were struggling, and they mm. needed to make a change. And they were taking it upon themselves to outside of their workload and outside. Mm. It wasn't necessarily designated time. They still had the their full teaching timetable, we had to assess in a different way, we had to yeah. do all of these other expectations and the and the pressures of kind of exam groups going through and not really knowing what's going on. And mm. they then had to then, on top of all of that stress and all of that workload, they then had to find a way to kind of deal with it and try and be able to go through technology um, and find that their own path. And I think now obviously proficiency with technology is to a point that a lot of people would have been exposed to it. Mm. But what was interesting through the conclusions was, um, was direction of management, mm -hmm. uh, trying to have senior leaders be in a position that they are qualified in digital leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of schools that, and I'm not saying this was taking away from any, any of their leadership capabilities, not mm -hmm. saying that at all, but it just, we, everyone in the in the uh, kind of conclusions that I drew from mine was that the people who were a part of the research they struggled to have direction and yeah. we had this middle management group um, and some of them were middle managers uh, who were trying to offer support to the the people that they were line managing mm. and then they were having either changing of direction in senior leadership or like this uncertainty which everyone felt. But when you have a position of leadership, especially from a digital context, mm -hmm. you, we need, more, I say, we needed more direction. And that's what one thing that kind of brought out from the, these people's experiences, which I found, uh, found interesting. And 
I know that there's a lot of schools now that have kind of really brought out that digital leadership uh, structure. And I think before the pandemic, there was obviously a lot of people that saw value in this uh, this direction and, and had a kind of a framework as a part of it. But it's kind of interesting to see those uh, those schools that were able to react to it a little bit more uh, and those ones who maybe prolonged the application of these kind of positions as well. Yeah. Um, what, yes. Loads Sorry, of, loads of, no, no, no. I was going to say there's just loads of things to come. I'm just deciding the order in which I kind of uh, pick out the, the, the fantastic uh, uh, points that you've made there. And I think, I think the first one is that a really salient point that you made there was that idea that when technology becomes the, the be and end or when technology is front and centre, you require uh, expertise and leadership um, in, that, in that area, in that domain. I can absolutely uh, concur with, you know, if you've got a leadership group or leadership team that are uh, not digitally literate, um, then, then that's going to be that's going to be a problem because they're going to be making some making decisions uh, to which they do not have the the, the capacity or, the, or the, the knowledge and experience to be able to uh, to to know whether that decision is is based on on uh, on on on, well, on experience and uh, or not. But it's interesting as well because I know um, there are loads of different schools around the place uh, that have got digital leaders or people who are passionate about it. It doesn't necessarily need to have a title. It's mm. like principals who, who are extremely passionate about digital, uh, I say digital education and seeing its value into the, into the future. And I mm. think the, the timing of their kind of passion and everything and then their understanding of the subject has really kind of been brought out into, into this pandemic as well. Yeah. Um, and that's, let, let, let's take a moment to, to, to consider that a little bit more as well, because I think that's, Again, really important to think about the 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 level of position, I guess, in which your digital leaders, the digital experience are. I mean, are they sort of uh, deputy heads, assistant heads, or or, or 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 middle leadership? Wherever you have them, does that does that uh, indicate the level of importance? Because uh, my school, so the school I worked in in Indonesia, the digital, you know, the director of digital learning was a, was in senior management, senior leadership. Um, but in other schools I've worked in, you know, it is a middle middle management role. So does the the, the for one for a better phrase, does the rank uh, or title, if you like, uh, emphasise uh, the or the importance in which leadership put in th those roles? I wonder if it's it's also something that you could you can refer to kind of supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. The the demand for leadership in digital has skyrocketed mm, mm. during the pandemic. Yeah. And although my master's specifically focused on um, on teacher efficiency and mm. middle management, um, and I really the reason why I focus on those two groups is to really because I'm I've been a part of middle management. Uh, I was a, a head of faculty in my previous school, mm. um, and as a part of my more recent structure, I've kind of gone back to kind of the classroom, spent a bit more time there to then really kind of push for more of a Digital, uh, digital lead, mm. and that's the kind of bracket that I really, uh, really am passionate about at the minute, and I can see my future in. Mm. Obviously, I would have aspirations to hit that kind of senior leadership, and I think with future research or further research, I think that's that's kind of the direction I would have pushed for this because I would have loved to have been able to compare these experiences in middle management to then the senior managers and see how they felt during this uh, this time and. 
sure. being able to kind of see if they uh, they felt confident in being able to make these decisions or are they, are they bringing up all of that. So mm. that is, if it's this kind of supply and demand thing where you can kind of see that in recent times we've needed to have more leadership in that uh, in that kind of branch, I yeah. think it would be nice to know that in the future there's a strand of kind of training that's being developed yes. for senior leaders whether that's a position, a full-time position in the senior leadership team, or if there's specific training that's being developed. And I know that there, there has been mm. uh, in kind of professional development opportunities being uh, being brought in. But again, when we start looking at policies and start thinking about these kind of government institutions and the qualifications we can achieve, mm. how much of an emphasis is being placed on digital yeah. now into the future? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really, really interesting to kind of kind of rattle that those ideas around in the head, I think. And... I, I, I remember, as you were saying there, I, I was a sort of participant of the research head uh, research ed home series over over the lockdown, and that just really did show, uh, as you were saying earlier, that kind of that will willingness and that thirst and that need, I think, for for teachers to use the pandemic as a as a as a as a, a springboard almost to become better at not necessarily just digital, but which, which they absolutely needed to, but also just better pedagogues in the in the first place and um to kind of circle back to the the point that you've just made i think that yeah the digit the the level of digital proficiency in 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 varies from school school to school so unfortunately i don't feel that well maybe you, you might agree or disagree um the it has to you know depending on the culture and the context and 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 the funding and the whatever you know the the, the digital lead or the training program in place has to be almost tailored to the individual needs of the school what do you think about that yeah i'd say i'd say that it does and i think um you will have digital leaders as a part of it i know uh, i certainly have and i know that you uh, that you've kind of definitely pushed for kind of digital uh, digital leadership within uh, within schools and you'll mm. get people who are passionate about the subject who can mm. you can really take it forward and be a leader it doesn't have to be a position they, they'll naturally in their own way, they'll find ways in your context to mm. then try and help improve the, the whole staff body and yes. the community of the school. They want to be able to help their localized context, whether that's high level tech, whether mm. that's very low level tech or mm. even no tech, they might yeah. be in a situation where they would be able to try and explore different uh, different kind of different ways of introducing that, uh, that tech. You'll get yeah. passionate teachers who want to make a difference yeah. to help support people. That's, that's the great thing. And the job and the role of a leadership team as a result of that is to kind of capitalize on that and to yeah, nurture exactly. that and to kind of make sure that they can empower their staff to 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 do what they, they want to do. But obviously and under with guidance from the the, the school and its, its values and, and whatnot. But I yeah. think that to kind of obviously uh, say bring it back to, uh, to um, the reason why I kind of went towards the Masters is also down to you as an individual, mm -hmm. what, are you, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? Because it's all well and good schools like, are saying, like it's down to the school, it's down to the senior leaders to kind of help guide us and help yeah. guide us with professional opportunities. But if you are in a position yourself to realize, actually I am interested into this aspect of learning, whether that's technology in the recent times or whether that's something else, yeah, that in itself, if you're interested, then you should be motivated to try and make that happen mm. and make a different kind of make that qualification happen. Whether the school mm. gets on board with that, and if you're lucky enough to be in a very supportive school, mm. 
then they will help support you in achieving that goal. But whether or not they are, then you as a teacher, which I think many uh, many teachers are in terms of the uh, the way they approach education, that's why we're we're in the, the business. Yeah. yeah. Um, you'll naturally want to make a difference in your own teaching and your own practice. So you then seek out that professional opportunity to develop. Brilliant. Um, well, that leads very nicely into this this next question. Then I think uh, Sam and um, you you were in the final year of your of doing your masters when COVID struck. Obviously, that kind of you've already kind of detailed how that caused you to pivot in the masters. Um, but you know, let's assume in in you know the old normal as it were. How easy was it, or in those first two years, or how did you find adapting your workflow? Um, for you to be able to ensure that you were able to to give do justice to your research and writing and preparation for the masters, as well as keep on teaching, I think a lot of our listeners would be would be keen to you know those that are looking to explore taking on perhaps maybe a master's degree. How, how I'm not going to say easy, but how 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 did did you manage yeah, taking okay. on both? Yeah, I could ask the same question five different ways, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, like, honestly, with, um, with the subject that I was, I was doing, I was passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, if I look back at my history, <laughs> Teach First offered, um, offered a master's as part of their, their course as well. Uh, and that it was a great opportunity. I had lots of friends who did it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it wasn't the right, right degree. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't something that I was interested in. And I was just very aware that I wanted to do something in education and technology. Whether the timing was off, it was, but uh, eventually I got there and I was motivated to do it. And I was very lucky to be in a situation where I chose a subject that was very specific to what I wanted to do and also the subject that I was teaching. And it's not necessarily that I, that I could, I've placed many different lenses on my own teaching practice as I, as I progressed through my research. And it, I think we mentioned it before, but I was very passionate about the technology and how it was like the way forward. And then I started to do this this research and be involved in the masters. And then I started to really place my own teaching practice under the lens and saying, well, actually, was this the best way right. in which I yeah. could have achieved this as an objective? Do I need to be using technology in this uh, in this scenario, or could I have used a separate task that didn't rely on technology? Mm. I was so adamant that technology yeah. was the way forward that I started to actually started to question. Actually, to obtain this lesson objective, am I overusing technology in this in this case? Or, yes. um, and that was the interesting thing that really brought out in my mm. masters was I started to see it as like a continued development. Like it was continuous development over the course of four years. It should have been two, but mm. four years. And the reason why it was again extended was I had flexibility. The yeah. course that I selected was online based but it allowed flexibility and that's great from different universities and different courses now and I'm sure many of your listeners would be in a situation where they've done courses where if they needed to reach out to their lecturer and say I just need a like, week's extension here like yeah. is it possible that I can push this back or mm. um, I'm a oh, there we go yeah. um, sorry we're just to continue with these <laughs> it's the lesson bell um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's, uh, it was interesting because as um, as I developed, uh, sorry, I've lost track with that, uh, with that, <laughs> with that one. Um, we were, so, yeah, we were talking about how the uh, you online when you were online, 
Oh, and learning yeah, with the flexibility. Yeah. yeah. So with the whole kind of modular part, with my with my uh, with my subject, um, and if you've got any DT uh, or slash art teachers listening, you would definitely know this. But when you get to and I say, in, that's my my local context. I know there's coursework everywhere. Yes. January and February is last minute, and it's yeah. just chaos. Yeah. It really right. Is. And <laughs> trying to undergo a master's module while in that phase is. Yeah. Brutal, and I can remember there was one call module at that one point, mm. and I was putting it off every year. Right, it was just I was getting to January, and I was like, "This is crazy." Yeah, I'm just it's horrendous. Yeah, and what was what actually happened was I ended up having a really nice conversation with my head of department, and he he basically arranged it so that I was able to have more key stage three classes at one point, and. I had a year 11, year 10. I had a, basically a break. I had a year 10 break. So instead of having to have the stress of year 11 coming in in January, I was able to have a year 10 gap, of which is still stressful, but the mm -hmm. time management was able to, to allocate for that. Um, and don't get me wrong, there are other points in time, uh, sorry, other points during that course mm -hmm. where I didn't have that flexibility. When I first started, I basically changed, in, uh, changed schools um, during this uh, this time, and my mm -hmm. uh, my previous school wasn't as forgiving, so I had to kind of make my yeah. way through with the year ten, year ten, uh, sorry, year ten and eleven cohort going through, mm -hmm. and I had to make make do, and I yeah. had to just knuckle down and get through it. Um, and I think that's, to be honest, that's what what was kind of embedded within my Teach First program was it was such a high intensity course mm -hmm. that when I came to my half terms, when I came to my uh, my kind of holidays, I had to invest so much time into those essays that it just be, it became natural that was my first ever teaching experience yeah and so i felt like if i had those periods off i wasn't necessarily developing as much so mm. anyway it was, it was quite quite a good skill to bring in with the with that master's yeah and 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 one thing that kind of like came 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 through clear there is that the when you're doing a master's and teaching at the same time you've got that theory into practice instantly and you're able to reflect straight away on on what you you know you're seeing the real life of it if you're if you're doing a university degree and you're doing three years of theory and then you're expected to then apply you know that understanding two years after after that you know in, in a job you know the chances are you've forgotten a lot of it and also actually the the knowledge but the body of knowledge has moved on or 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 it's out of date um and so yeah doing doing learning as well as 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 sharpening your craft, I think is a really um, good kind of selling point, I guess, of doing a master's. I think the the time management element of it, um, and this would be salient advice, I think, to to people looking to do it, is to look into the flexibility, is what you said in terms of the flexibility with the unit, the institution itself. Can you postpone modules? Can you uh, do it over a longer period of time? Yeah. Uh, but also, actually, flexibility within a department. So before even actually signing up i suppose you know explore you know discuss with head of department discuss with your leadership to say it's something that you're really interested in and passionate about and and, and just try to see if you can get support from within because yeah. further down the line when you are kind of perhaps maybe at a hot spot during the year like you are with your coursework yeah. it gives you that kind of um that, that that understanding and that kind of you know option of of there being some some concessions made for you and i think i think a lot of um, institutions have like similar stresses, right? So we've, we've got um, our professional development goals by the end of the year. And I know, mm. uh, Dorian, you're a big advocate for this, but mm. it's starting to think about uh, kind of restructuring that to think, well, actually, 
instead of giving myself kind of three or four goals over the course of the year, mm. am I going to focus on one? Yeah. Right. And then what does that one look like? And with the, I was very lucky in the fact that as I spoke to kind of my manage, uh, managers and uh, my managers, they they supported me in saying, well, actually, you're doing a master's degree right now. Mm. We're that's your that's your professional development for the year. That's your blue mm-hmm. sky target. Yeah. For, for anyone who doesn't know what blue sky is, this yeah. is basically a, a platform in which we, you can effectively monitor your your targets, and that's yeah. a lot of a lot of teachers tend to use it at the minute, mm. um, and obviously different organisations. Mm. But with that being said, my admin was basically to say I was uh, I was looking at the success, uh, successful completion of this uh, this module. All I had to do was upload a certificate by the end of it, and then yeah. that was that was my professional development done. And it's it's a small part of a larger cog mm. system, mm. but at the same time, it was something in which was release stress. Yes, uh, that kind of end of year review section. Mm. You can literally have a discussion with your uh, with your line manager. This is what I learned. This is how I applied it. You can be as a part of the lesson observation if you want to see me embedding this uh, this yeah. aspect and. Then it opens up. That line manager also learns things and also sees relevant research, and mm. you start having those conversations. And then that then brings in other topics, and that's that's what I really loved about the masters as well is actually realizing that there was a community of people that were in a similar boat. Yes. Um, yes. And I have to admit, it was a very small one, very small pool of, uh, <laughs> of teachers that decided to uh, to do it, um, but they were a support network, and mm. although. Um, I wasn't doing the same course as them in the same uh, same uh, in the same school. They were all unbelievably helpful to kind of throw those ideas off. And mm. I know if you're, uh, I know many of your listeners probably are kind of internationally based. Um, they, you might be in a situation where they're studying a completely different course in a different university in a different area of the world, mm. or you might be in the UK and you might be kind of obviously trying to uh, trying to batter it, but you'll have someone like me who's on the other side of the world but can obviously kind of support you in that. So the networking, the support that you have within that course context, you just you get motivated, you get kind of inspired to another level yes. because you're so happy. And that yeah. that kind of brings on another part. Sorry, sorry, if this is uh, going no, on. That's, that's all good. It's all, it's all lovely stuff. What's <laughs> really nice about it is that it offers something. Like we all get trapped in our day-to-day. We all mm. get trapped in that cycle of teaching. You can, mm. like you said, you can spend hours all of your day improving that teacher. You live mm. as a teacher. Mm. And what was really nice that I found with my masters was, I actually I'm doing this for me. Mm. And it was it was something that was separate. Everything else that I was doing in my life at that time, when I had my masters there. I knew that that was that was kind of my my little thing. A little comfort blanket. Yeah, little, <laughs> it wasn't. It was a comfortable comfort blanket of nails. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can guarantee. I can guarantee there was moments that I definitely, definitely didn't want to give up on, mm. uh, on it. But the thing was, I was so aware that within those within those hours, it was it wasn't to do with the school, although it was helping the school and it was helping my own teach practice and achieving their goals and mine. It was actually something that was really motiv- self-motivating. It was kind of I was getting a lot more reward of knowing what I was doing at that time, and mm-hmm. it was kind of that allocated time of just a yeah. little bit of lock the door. It's stress-free, yeah. but it was something that was yeah I was passionate about and just enjoyed. And it gives you that sense of purpose and the fact that you know that in that self-growth 
as well, isn't it? The fact that you're not just doing the same thing every year, that you are kind of making those incremental uh, improvements uh, as, as you go. Yeah, and it's uh, it's always nice as well when you're kind of talking about and having those six formers come through and kind of talking mm. with uh, with you about their careers and the university applications and things like that. It's always nice to say that you're kind of currently studying. It's quite nice that you're having that kind of you're still involved in the educational system in the higher education where you're uh, you're able to help guide them as well and you can talk about the stresses of it and going through those stages you can say that you've hit that next level and those are kind of more ambitious uh, kind of students who want to be hitting kind of the phds and all of that mm. kind of level you can then start saying well actually i'm i'm personally at this stage yes this is how i've managed to do it this is what i've been doing this is what i've learned and yes. so you can kind of pass those those on as well yes great point because i think that it's fresher you're fresh you know depending on you know, the age of the teacher, it could have been a very long time since they've done some research or written a research yeah. paper, etc. So to be able to share your more recent experience of, 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 of research and, you know, even things like I was talking to some students this morning about referencing, you know, and because I've had recent experience of, of, of writing and needing to reference, yeah. I, I was able to, 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 to share that with them. And I think also as well, it's a great opportunity to model to your students that you are also... Um, that learning never stops. Learning isn't something that finishes when you, you leave university, right? Yeah. You're continually evolving and continually looking to to, to improve yourself. Um, and I think that's a really good good thing to demonstrate to students and engage with them about and let them know about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair, it's actually it's another topic that allows them to see you in a different light. Mm. You're, I'm Mr. Spencer. I'm the design and technology teacher. Yeah. I, I'm. To them, sometimes I'm very, I'm kind of pigeonholed into that one subject. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about earlier, it's quite nice to be kind of embedding these sorts of things into extracurriculars, and then you become the design technology teacher rugby coach or mm -hmm. design technology teacher DOV coordinator kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's nice to then also have that as kind of supportive of the academic approach. And then when they start, especially when you get towards the end, uh, kind of your, uh, your GCSE A-level students, like GCH4 and 5, where they start to really investigate and kind of see, well, so what are you writing about? Yeah. And when you start seeing the titles and they start actually, some of them kind of engross themselves within that kind of topic. And then they say, well, actually, sir, I don't believe this is the case. This is, this yeah. is how I feel. Right. And then it's interesting to get them on board as well yeah. and then start thinking about actually, well, they, they, they should be the focus. They're the, they're the focus of education. They're, they're, yeah. they're the reason why I'm there. Yeah. So it's, it then becomes interesting to see, well, actually, what is this impact on you? One, is it? Yeah. So. Just so much, Sam. Fantastic. We, we, we are hurtling towards the end of the, uh, of the show. There are still a couple of things I would like to kind of uh, pick your brains about if, if you're happy just to spend a tiny bit of time, yeah. a tiny bit more time with us. Uh, we'll go to the news first. Gail's going to read the news out for us, and we'll be back in a jiffy, so don't go away. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to the United Nations Children's Fund, schools across 23 countries are still partially or fully closed due to COVID, affecting 405 million pupils. Some schools that have reopened have reported that some vulnerable children, especially girls, have not returned. UNICEF Executive Director Catherine Russell 
says children are the hidden casualties of the pandemic. In March 2020, 150 countries around the world completely shut their schools, with partial closures in a further 10. Two years later, 19 still have some of their schools closed. In a further four, the Philippines, Honduras, Solomon Islands and Vanuatu in the South Pacific, at least 70% remain shut. The proportion UNICEF categorise as full closure. Ms Russell told BBC News, we are seeing children go back who were reading before, who now can't read, who were doing numbers before, who now can't do that. Some children, because their families were so impoverished, were moved into the workforce. Girls also get moved into early marriage, and that's a terrible fate. Across sub-Saharan Africa, reading, writing and math skills were lowest even before the pandemic. When schools returned in Uganda in January this year, about one in ten pupils failed to return. In Northern Ireland, Dr Graham Galt, director of the National Association of Head Teachers, has voiced his concerns following the release of provisional budgets for individual schools. He said, the indicative financial allocations to schools announced today make harrowing reading for all of our school leaders. With a decade of decimated budgets for schools behind us and the prospect of a further shortfall of three quarters of a billion pounds over the next three years, it is simply impossible for many of our schools to maintain basic services for our children without already enormous deficits spiralling further out of control. One factor that will deepen the financial crisis dramatically is that COVID-related costs, including for substitute teachers, will no longer be covered by additional funding. Schools will be expected to cover such costs themselves. This is a huge expense and will plunge some schools into an unprecedented level of crisis. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown. Thank you very much for that, Gail. Uh, we are here on the Friday morning break. I'm Dorian Brown, and I'm joined by Sam Spencer. Uh, and we have been, again, riffing uh, and talking so much about uh, uh, technology and education, and uh, more lately, how uh, taking on a master's at the same time of being as being a, a classroom or online teacher, um, many of the challenges that brings. But also, I think we touched on towards the end there very much so the all of the benefits and the lovely stuff that kind of, I think, come with it, which kind of, I guess I was getting the sense uh, from you, Sam, that it just makes all of the, 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 the blood, sweat and tears worth it. Yeah, and I think everyone's been in that sort of situation, right? The, uh, especially from a teacher standpoint, where you've trialed something, you might have failed a couple of times and then you try it again. And then suddenly that like light bulb moment of just, it all comes together. It's just, 
it's so rewarding and it's almost like that deep breath and it's just that sense of achievement and i think that that really describes the uh the kind of master's journey that i was on it was it as much as it was a long process mm. and it was something that i uh saw a lot of value in to start with and then got went through the challenging phase and then it came all together with the the longest dissertation i've ever uh, <laughs> I've ever had to write um it was still it was so so rewarding and I uh, just uh, sorry, Dorian. I know we uh, kind of thought about these uh, the direction of this. Uh, <laughs> another, another point, yeah, go for it. Um, I actually was very uh, very lucky in the fact that the pandemic kind of hit the way at the time it did, because I was able to spend more time on my masters as mm. well, um, mm. and not necessarily through the time of working, but also the time of my holiday. Mm. Uh, as teachers, we try and escape and we try and kind of travel, and I know we're we're two very uh, kind of enthusiastic people with kind of i say traveling in terms of sports as well and mm, mm. kind of doing our exercise but during the pandemic i actually got uh i was on lockdown and i had to stay in my apartment and mm. it just allowed me to lock myself in my room and uh really really nail that so um that was also another benefit of, mm. uh, of kind of the timing of everything but i have to admit the 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 kind of masters bringing it back together it's i have seen value massively into doing it because it opened my eyes to kind of mm. different ways of thinking yeah. and um i know for people who have done master's degrees and have kind of felt that pressure or even just even i'd say just masters any sort of cpd that's of value and you kind of come away and you think well actually i've learned something here yeah i can say for the duration of my masters that i've learned at every step of it you can and feel that tangible growth that's yeah, something where you actually feel, feel it. That, yeah. yeah you can actually feel that you mm you kind of had the time or you dedicated the time to do it. And I think that's, that's what's the most important thing for your listeners is to be able to give the time. To mm. And to, if you're passionate enough, you will find the time. Fantastic. And I think yeah. that if you try and just do a master's degree, just to get a master's degree, it's mm. not going to be of value and you're not going to walk away with that self kind of reward of achieving that and being in positions like we're having now where you can fully, fully, Kind of, I'm not saying freestyle. You can yeah, freestyle I, I because can, you, yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily uh, kind of fully uh, fully understand the subject because what mm. I have researched and what I have learned is probably already out of date. Mm. But mm. it's it's knowing that at that point in time I was able to dedicate a lot of time to it. I came away with a reward of understanding more, and I mm. do feel that being as a teacher, I do feel that my pedagogy has drastically increased, and mm. I definitely think from a different perspective with regards to education and technology and um would you would you say that your your so you said your sort of ped, pedagogy has improved as a result of doing the masters would you say that it's allowed you to become more maybe efficient in terms of like planning and and assessing and just thinking about how you go about kind of this, delivering the curriculum this i've, I've kind of reflected on this it's, <laughs> it's just i know as we we've had many conversations with this uh, previously mm. but it's been interesting because of what is efficiency? Like you're in your position because you are, at that time, you you fit into the school's school system and you're, you're the school that you're, or the school context that you find yourself in. You you're happy with and the school's happy and you're you're performing to kind of the way that you're supposed to be performing, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're doing extra kind of professional uh, professional development like this. Yeah, in some ways, I would like to think that I'm more efficient, but I would like to think that I was efficient before. Mm -hmm. Like as teachers, we like we work ourselves to the bone, 
mm. and we constantly develop. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, well, what is like, when you're talking about kind of the pinnacle where the bar is? Like, I would like to think that as a teacher and all of the teaching profession, there's, yeah. a, there's a certain bar that we're all hitting anyway. Yes. yes so right. it's. I would like to think that my efficiency before was still there, mm. and I would like to think that I'm still as equally as efficient now. But I would like to think that the way in which kind of the strings to the bow, like the bow motion doesn't move, but the strings to the bow increases. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I think yeah. the way in which I interpret certain things yeah. has now changed. Yeah, I am now more kind of understanding as to, well, actually, I've done this normal practical lesson. Mm. What could I have achieved with more embedded technology? Did I use too much technology here? Mm. Should I have done something else? And then, if I start looking at another, like kind of another branch of, um, of I say of learning, then I could start thinking. Well, actually, I do a bit more group work here, or I can mm. start uh, kind of more focusing on kind of growth mindset at this at this point. And like, mm. uh, we're starting to bring in the understanding of all these other topics, yeah. and then you can then start kind of choosing your sharpest tool in your toolbox, yeah. kind of thing. So, so, I, so I guess the, the the what I should have said is um, effective rather than efficient. Because uh, it yeah. sounds like that you that you, you as a result of doing your masters, but again, and a, and a hat tip to what you said before as well, that I think that yeah, we should already be doing this anyway, and and many of yeah, us are, definitely. but being reflective about how you know uh, you know how 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 things went and 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 having the knowledge, I guess, and understanding of what you what adjustments, what tweaks that you could or should make next time, yeah. um, that becomes more um, uh, more ha habitual um, than kind of something that you kind of almost have to force not force yourself to do but for, that you you know normally after a bad lesson you kind of yeah you, de aware, you right? definitely yeah. are aware but i guess after a good lesson maybe you it's less frequent that you say uh how could i make that even better no, right I'm, I'm not i'm not saying at all that i don't have those uh those mm. lessons anymore no, me, me I'm also current, I'm, I'm currently yeah like you can't say that you're hyperly effective in every in every aspect of your job and i'm certainly not saying that but the rate of kind of iterations and the uh, the rate of reflection, I think, is also kind of I say that's that's improved within my teaching practice. So when you when you're looking at modules and you're trying to achieve uh, achieve like the best grade you possibly can with your uh, with your essays, you start to really focus on what is important and start saying, well, actually, to be most time effective or efficient in this uh, in this yeah. scenario, you're what is most important how do i then take those those things and then bring them uh, bring them into this essay i think that's where i think a lot of us did when we when we started to kind of uh, go through kind of university doing our pgcs you always wanted to focus on what is important and sometimes when you're kind of obviously growing sometimes you might lose track of that as some some level but it's quite nice to be have that refresh of actually these are important go go go, go. yes yes Phenomenal. Well, listen, Sam. It, it, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. If I might, just ask, just poke, just one more, uh, and push yourself a little bit more, if I if I may, just to spend a little bit more time. And it's just to, to really just ask this final question of whether your philosophy of education and, and and your vision of what quality education is, how has has that changed since taking on your MA? Or actually, maybe let me just widen that out a little bit and just say, just as the more you teach, let's just say, the more experience you get, the more the more time you've spent, you know, uh, and experience you've had with digital learning, online learning, um, master's education. Would you say that your 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 vision of, of quality education has changed over time? Over, over time, I think yes. I think the 
the vision of what quality teaching could be mm. and I don't know um, what should be is is also two different things I know we talked about like all the divides and all of the different kind of schooling contexts and it's very mm. it's very difficult to say and I think that when you see the success stories within this time of the pandemic and the kind of the implementation of technology you're just overly aware that there's mm. other people in this world that haven't been able to have access to that so sure. it's it's that grounding of like this is like this is the pinnacle and i think that's the when like during my masters i had this idea of what technology could be mm. and i placed it on such a very high pedestal and i still do but it's the realization of what is actually happening and then through through the pandemic if you asked me before are we ever going to be in a situation where we're going 100 online learning during my masters at the start of it i thought i would have thought that that would have been like kind of like a dream or that would mm. have been something that like nothing that would never happen and then suddenly we've, yeah. we've been confronted with it yes. and i just I just love the fact that with teaching which is so adaptive and people have been able to achieve high levels of qualifications and mm. subject knowledge within this time and I can only imagine the stresses that people have kind of faced during that time but I know that um, obviously technology does have a role to play within that and yeah. that's the kind of exciting thing for the future um, yes. in knowing to what extent technology will be embedded into the future as well. Oof, that sounds like a fantastic cliffhanger <laughs> at which to leave uh, this particular wasn't show. It wasn't, <laughs> no, but I mean, I obviously have got uh, in, in front of me someone who is very uh, enthusiastic and passionate about technology and education and, and someone who's also been very reflective over time during the Masters and probably before about, you know, not just the, the pluses, but perhaps maybe the the, the limitations that that maybe technology presents as well. So, Sam, if you're if you're um, up for it, uh, then perhaps maybe sometime in the mid to, mid to uh, mid future, I might be able to get you back on the show and yeah, we could kind good. of unpack that a little bit because I think we're going to need more than five minutes to kind of uh, <laughs> uh, unravel that one. Honestly, if your uh, listeners are, uh, are happy with it, then uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll come back on. Fantastic. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, we will uh, hit, uh, see you again next week. Uh, tune in to Basayo's show later on today and then Ed's later this evening. And we will see you again next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.